0: Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Ra. A couple quick announcements before we jump in. First of all, the Theology in the Ra Israel trip, October 11th through the 21st of 2020. If you would like to go on this trip, the cost is $2,900. It's first come, first serve. If you want to go on the trip or you want to inquire about the trip, you can email chris at PrestonSprinkle.com. That's C-H-R-I-S at PrestonSprinkle.com. Again, it's first come, first serve. The first 40 people who send in their $100 to secure their spot are going, and spots are filling up pretty quickly. So if you would like to go on an amazing theology in the raw um, Israel trip. My brother-in-law, Benjamin Foreman, Dr. Benjamin Foreman is going to be leading the trip. He's been living in Israel for 15 years. He's been touring people around the, around the land more than Moses has. That's actually true because Moses never even got into the land. But anyway, he maybe as much as Joshua has. Yeah. He's been touring people around the land of Israel longer than Joshua did. I don't know if that's true. It just sounds kind of cool. Anyway, if you want to inquire about the trip, Chris at Prestonsprinkle.com. Again, the dates are October 11th through the 21st. Also, um, my spring speaking schedule is v- uh, very stacked. So let me just read off a few dates here. Uh, February 9th and 10th, I will be in Orange County. February 9th and 10th, Orange County. Uh, at Two different churches. Um, that I, um, I'm blanking on the first church. No, let me just look it up here. Um, I will be at... Um, Branches Church, Huntington Beach. That's on the evening session. That's February 9th. And then the all day leaders session on the 10th, I will be at Rock Harbor Church in Orange County. Uh, March 5th and 6th, I will be in Greeley, Colorado. That's Northern Colorado and Greeley. Uh, March 10th and 11th, I will be in Nashville, Uh, evening event on the 10th and an all-day event on the 11th. March 15th, I will be in Seattle, Washington for an evening event. April 30th, I will be in Philadelphia and uh, April 30th and May 1st in Philadelphia. And there's a few other events that are scattered throughout there. If you want to register, you have to go to centerforfaith.com uh, and register for these events. And again, they, uh, some of them do sell out. So if you do want to attend, uh, one or some, or all of these events, come be a, uh, like a groupie or whatever, and just travel the country with me and talk about sexuality and gender. That'd be awesome. Uh, if you want to attend, you can go to centerforfaith.com, um, and just go to the events page and you can look at more details about the events and also register. My guest for today is Dr. Heather Thompson Day. Heather Thompson Day is the author of six books, including Life After Eden, um, and the most recent book, which is uh, Confessions of a Christian Life. She's also written How to Feed the Medivore, Cracked Glasses, and a few other books. You can check her out at HeatherThompsonDay.com. Um, Heather Thompson Day is a professor of communications at Colorado Christian uh, college in uh in Colorado, <laughs> imagine that um, and she I, so I met heather i mean met i I, I came across heather 's voice on Twitter, I just kept noticing her tweeting such awesome and intriguing and challenging things. I just loved the way she thinks, uh, according to Twitter. So I just reached out and said, Heather, would you like to be on Theology in the I don't, I know hardly anything about you, but you have a really interesting voice. And I looked up her bio and saw that she was like a scholar and a communications professor and has written books and does a lot of speaking. So I had a fantastic time talking to, to Heather uh, Thompson Day, and I am so excited for you to get to know her if you don't know her already. So please welcome to the the show for the first time, Dr. Heather Thompson Day. Okay, I am here with... Um I'm going to say uh, acquaintance slash new friend. We'll see how this goes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because yeah. he- Careful Heather what you and I... say, I may
1: unfollow you. What's that? Careful what you say, I may unfollow you. <laughs> oh, no, please
0: don't. No. <laughs> um, so I'm here with uh, Heather uh, Heather Thompson Day. Um, and I. so I first just noticed you on Twitter. Like, um, And I try not to pay too close attention to Twitter. In fact, I just literally deleted it off my phone because i was probably on it too much so um but i i just was so like impressed and impacted and challenged by some of the tweets you're doing and stuff and did a little research into who you were and some of the things you're working on that you know you work with college students i'm like man i really want to have heather on the show so beyond that i really don't know what i'm getting myself into so
1: (laughs) what happens right why,
0: why don't we start off just give give us a brief overview of who you are your story and maybe some uh, things you're passionate about. I'm sure that will uh, lead us to uh, many different uh, possible directions to go.
1: Yeah. So I am a communication professor at Colorado Christian University. I my whole life. At like six or seven years old, if you were to read my diary, you would read entry after entry after entry about Barbara Walters. I was obsessed with Barbara (laughs) Walters. I wanted to be her because I watched a lot of 2020. And when I turned like 17 years old, I created this really impressive resume filled with all of my accomplishments, which was nothing because I was 17 years old. But I brought it to the biggest radio station in southwest Michigan, and I asked them to give me a job. And through luck or coincidence, they actually gave me one. And I was a reporter for them. And I really, I worked in radio journalism for about five years. I ended up having uh, my own radio show that I did with them for about five years. And then I took a general level communication course. And it, it changed my life. Huh. Um communication is essentially the study of like, how do we build relationships? How do we build relationships interpersonally? How do we build relationships from a corporation to a target audience? How do we build relationships online? How do I build relationships for my church? Yeah. So for me, I'm, I love people. I have not met a person that I didn't learn to like, right? Because the more we know about people, the more likely we are to like them anyway. Yeah. So I love yeah. people. And so getting into this field of communication has been just probably the best thing outside of faith that ever happened to me. Cause I feel like I found, I found my space um, where I can make a contribution. I think that matters.
0: Were you raised in a Christian home or?
1: I was raised in a Christian home. My dad was an evangelist. So my dad was on Broadway. He was in Jesus Christ Superstar and Hair. And somebody left a religious writing in his taxi cab in New York. And he read it and ended up going to seminary and had this (laughs) huge conversion experience. And so I grew up, I always tell people, I grew up in a van. Um, (laughs) I traveled all around the country and internationally with my dad. He would take Bible stories and make them into musicals. Which wow. sounds weird, but it was re- he's really talented, so it was really good and so i kind of I grew up in this space of getting to constantly be in like genuine you know just watching people really really experience god i've mm-hmm. I've also been in spaces where people pretend like they're experiencing yeah. right but i i got to i grew up in this environment, and so <laughs> it's i guess it's not surprising that i want to serve it
0: yeah what, what what kind of denominational background or crew? subculture are you part of or were yeah, part of it? my
1: my background is Seventh-day Adventist which okay. nobody ever knows what that is yeah. um, so essentially we're like Jews who believe in Jesus that's the best because the only the difference between we're still evangelical Christians but the only difference is that Adventists keep a Saturday Sabbath okay um, and they still don't eat pork
0: which really? probably sounds weird <laughs> that's it wow okay just pork though yeah. not all the dietary laws
1: no, just pork. They just okay. still don't eat pork. Oh well, and shrimp and stuff. Yeah, the unclean foods.
0: Okay, they eat. okay, okay. Yeah. Well, there's there's a uh, my my brother-in-law lives in Israel. He's been there uh-huh. for almost 15 years. Um, and I there's a church here in town. A good pastor friend of mine who's part of a, a messianic um congregation. Like like it'd be very much that like like it's a, okay. a Christian con- congregation that pretty much observes the the Jewish calendar, the holidays, um, dietary laws, and everything. Um, yeah. So that's, yeah, I'm fairly familiar with that. That's, that's interesting. I never heard the Seventh-day Adventist thing put in that kind of terms, like Jews who believe in Jesus. Almost That's the
1: best way I explain it to people because everybody knows who the Jews are.
0: Right. Yeah. Right.
1: So, and that is honestly the two, the biggest fundamental difference. Well, in the dietary one is like, there's tons of Adventists who probably eat pork right like they don't talk about it it's not in a potluck but they may eat it And um, but Adventist the big thing is we keep a Saturday Sabbath okay. so you've been
0: part of that tradition and still are like that's that's where you're raised and they're still that part that okay. is
1: where I was raised my husband is a pastor okay. that is the church that I serve yeah but uh, I I do it kind of like interdenominational denominational speaking my sure. the university I'm at is non-denominational
0: um was Prince Adventist Oh my goodness! I cannot believe you know this. Right, he was right.
1: This is like a thing. <laughs> this is a thing that Adventists say when we're because okay, Barry Black, the Senate chaplain. Oh yeah, yeah. He, he's an Adventist. Ben Carson. He actually endorsed some of my dad's books. He's an Adventist, so
0: we. Oh, I do so not know Ben Carson amazing. was. Wow. Yeah, Ben Carson.
1: <laughs> yeah, so we have some famous Adventists, but yeah, Prince. We, I remember we used to talk about that a lot. Okay, so
0: I live in Boise, Idaho, and next to Boise. It's either in Meridian or Nampa, along the freeway. There's this massive warehouse that says Adventist Publishing something. I think Pacific it's... Pacific Press. What is it?
1: Pacific Press. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. that's where my last book came from. Mm-hmm. So
0: it's based is the I think it's based here in Boise, Idaho. It is. That's crazy because I mean I don't see a lot of Adventist churches here necessarily. Maybe I just don't know them, but I just every time I (laughs) drive by, I'm like, that's a massive publishing house for a denomination that's not that large. You know, I'm like, wow. Yeah.
1: Well, here's the thing: it's not big in the United States. It is huge overseas. Okay. Okay. North America is probably their smallest, smallest place where their denomination comes from. But like, like Jamaica, like that's almost the whole country is Adventist. So there's all these pockets of countries that are. Predom- like we're the president of that country as a Seventh Day Adventist, and it's just a weird thing that only Adventists know. So, yeah.
0: Where I mean, I don't mind. I, I kind of, I got tons of questions now. So, um, d- wh- where was the denomination movement? Where did it start from? What did it grow out of? Like, did it start in America or overseas somewhere? It or?
1: started in the United States, okay. um, out of the Methodist movement.
0: Oh, okay. So it has kind of a yeah. meth, like a Wesleyan ish.
1: It was. A Methodist movement, yeah, and there was this lady named Ellen White, and okay. she had a vision, and then they started doing. Okay. Um, I don't know. They.
0: So you guys just did missions really well, then, right? If it's such a global strong, stronger global presence, or
1: absolutely. So they <laughs> It's funny that you're talking to me because I'm probably one of the only Adventists that knows all this information who didn't go to seminary. Um, but yeah, they have a huge, I think it's the number one parochial school system outside of Catholicism.
0: Oh, wow. Okay.
1: So the biggest Christian school network is Seventh-day Adventist schools. So there's a ton of, and then they're huge. Yeah. And oversee mission work.
0: Okay. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's cool. All right. So here you are, you, you, um, you, did, did, you went on in school to do several degrees in communications, right? Or what was your, what was, tell me your educational journey.
1: Yeah. So my bachelor's degree, I double majored. I did um, communication and journalism because I originally wanted to be a journalist until I took a communication class. And then okay. I did my master's interdisciplinary with communication with a cognate in psychology, which a oh. lot of communication theories come from psychology anyway. Yeah. And then I did my PhD in higher education with a cognate in communication.
0: Wow. And we say communication is primarily speaking or writing or both, or is, is that a, is that even a valid question?
1: <laughs> communication is everything. Okay. Um, it's making meaning out of uh, relationships and conversation. There's nonverbal communication. Like that's an entire course that you would have to take if you do a communication degree. Um, there's writing for communication outlets. There's social media as a part of the communication program. So I, I did all of it. I think my background more so is in communication theory, but at the university I'm at right now, I'm the anchor of their public speaking program. So I, I help students that want to be professional speakers and they're building a huge speaking center here. And so that's what I'm here to do.
0: So your primary, you would say area that you're focusing on is, is speaking, like, like,
1: here, yes, okay. but as far as like my act, the only reason I'm doing that is because I do a ton of speaking, right? Okay. So, but my academic background is much more in communication theory.
0: Okay, what are some? I sense. mean, this is gonna be kind of a broad question, but what are some like, like if you were on your deathbed and you wanted to share, you have five more minutes to live, and there's a bunch of people around your bed that want to know, like Heather, all right, give give us the the, the the most important things we need to understand when it comes to communication what would be some of those big picture things from, from somebody who's a specialist? I mean, I, I speak yeah. a lot too, but I've never like, st- I, don't know, I don't know what I'm doing. I just get up there and start talking right. <laughs> and see what works. Here's you know? the
1: best number one thing I will tell you. I think this is the most important thing in communication is that it's always about the listener. We think about communication and we think it's about the person who's talking. It's not, it's about paying attention to the person who's listening and crafting a message geared off of that person. So what we say in communication is most people try to bring a person to a message. Communicators bring a message to a person. So the entire goal is how do I, okay, if I was to hand out a survey to most people and say, do you think that you're a competent communicator? The average person would say, absolutely. I talk every day. Most of us are totally incompetent when it comes to communication. It's because of this one principle. Most of us think that communication is about me having a message and I just have to say it, but it's not. It's about how do I say this in a way that you will actually understand it. And let's take it a step further. If we're looking at persuasion or rhetoric, how do I say it in a way That actually changes how you see things, right? Are you familiar
0: with uh, Jonathan Haidt, psychologist? He wrote a book. um, My my podcast listeners are gonna either roll their eyes or get excited. Not roll their eyes, but I mean, I I talk about him all the time because um, I'm looking around at my bookshelf right now. His book, uh, "The Righteous Mind: Why Good People Disagree on Politics and Religion," is so brilliant. It's not. I wouldn't say it's well. It's not technically about communication, but it's about, well, it kind of is though. I mean, it's about why would somebody possibly change their mind on something? Why are are good people who give good arguments so stuck in their ways? And even even if they hear a good argument that counters their view, what is is going on psychologically that prevents them from receiving that and what could happen to where, you know, in in their psyche that would allow them to receive it? And he basically says that like 90% of why people believe what they do has to do with intuition and, and what's going on in the heart, not, not just rational reasoning. So people think that, Oh, if I just destroy the argument, if I just give a better argument, they're going to believe it. And he's like 90% of why people believe stuff is not just pure rational reasoning. It's not like they're just, you know, laying out the arguments and picking the best one. So if all you do is speak to the mind, it's not going to get in. But if you speak, if you, if you move their heart, um, that's going to cause them to see your perspective a little better. So he talks about things like even, you know, when you're in a conversation uh, across political lines, you know, where sparks are going to fly, if you can actually honor the other person and, and, and say, you know what, that's a good point. I could see, I could see where, why you would vote for Donald Trump. And you know, he, you could be like, the most anti-Trump person in the world, but if you said, you know what, yeah, he's done some, yeah, I, he's done some good things, you know, the economy is going well, and and he has done this, that, and I think he's misunderstood, and I, I could see your point of view, you know, and and but you know, the one thing that, um, the the one thing that kind of bothers me is maybe you know, all all that to say, like like meeting someone where they're at and humanizing them, and then the guard kind of comes down, and anyway, is any of this like. (laughs)
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I teach persuasion. This is something we talk about all the time. We call it foot in the door. And essentially what it is, is you're never going to get through somebody's closed door. You have to figure out how do I get one foot inside your door. So the example I give, give is if somebody comes to my office right now and it's a stranger and they say to me, Heather, can you walk me across campus to the bookstore? I'm going to say, sir, no, I do not know you. I am not walking you across campus to the bookstore. If he says, hey, could you just walk me down to the end of the office and put me in the right direction? now i might do that right so now i'm walking him down to the end of the office and then he says hey could you just take me a little bit further i'm still not quite sure where i'm going and so i walk him a little bit further and then we keep doing this back and forth next thing i know i'm at the bookstore i never intended to walk this man to the bookstore right but if you can get a foot in the door. You can change everything. And and there's another theory. It's called a social judgment theory. And essentially what it says is we never move more than two spaces outside of our current position. So the goal in communication Mm -hmm. when it comes to persuasion isn't to take somebody from one anchor point. I support Donald Trump to, he is a horrible human being, right? Like that is never going to happen, but what you can do is move them two steps outside of, I support Donald Trump. And so we look for arguments, that are two steps outside of that anchor point, like you just said. So we start saying things like, you know, I can see why you would support him, but do you think that, do you believe that he's moral? Do you think he's made some good moral choices? And then as they start talking through that, you can move them two steps outside and then just leave them because our judgments are made socially. No, you're never going to convert somebody from totally believing something to totally disagreeing with it overnight. It's a social process and it takes time. And we have to have commitment to that journey with people in relationships.
0: That's fascinating. So So like say in a sermon or a talk where you may only have 45 minutes, an hour with these people, or let's just, let's not say a sermon in a church context, because there you do have the longevity, but say you come in, you give a talk, you're gone. Are you saying that your goal should just be to move those two steps? So don't try to convince them that two plus two equals four, but you like no matter how, no matter how strongly you believe in this truth that you want them to believe it would be a win if you just move them a couple steps toward that direction rather than convincing them of it. Is that what you're saying? Something?
1: I fundamentally believe this. And wow. again, I think this is why a lot of um, churches are struggling. And this is why the numbers are declining in North America. We keep <laughs> hitting people with our truths. I say this to my students too, because um, is, there, is there truth? Absolutely. But there's also a spirit of truth. And am I approaching you in the spirit of truth and a spirit of love as a person in a relationship that should come into context in this conversation, especially when we're talking about such an important topic, 80% of Christians believe in a higher power. When people, when I, I go around, I train church pastors when they tell me, yeah, but there's nothing we can do. This, this generation just isn't holy. I'm like, bro, 80% of Americans believe in a higher power. 82% of people say they'd go to church. If somebody just invited them, 82% of people, you want to know the problem? Wow. Only 2% of Christians ever invite somebody to church in a year. Wow. So we have these big gaps where there's a, several things going on. But one is we say we believe these things that I wonder how much we really believe in. If only 2% of us are actually inviting people into it. Because I know if I hear an awesome Taylor Swift album, I am telling everybody. Yeah. If I go through a Chick-fil-A drive through I'm telling everybody. But when it comes to my relationship with God, yeah. probably not. I'm not going to share that. There's, there's something broken there, I think.
0: Well, in true, genuine belief, I, I think is, has to be lived out. Like, I don't know. I, I used yes. to think if you just sign a doctrinal statement, you believe that, but in, unless your life is reflecting that, it's not, I wouldn't even say it's true belief. It might be cognitive, um, assent or whatever, but it's not belief in the true biblical sense of, of belief. I think belief is intertwined with action and living it out.
1: I think that's what it, I mean, I'm not a scholar, right. In, in, in yeah. the Hebrew, I believe that that's what the word says, to believe in the Greek when it says like those who believe in him, it means to live by.
0: Yeah. So the, the Hebrew emunah is, um, can be translated faith or faithfulness. Faithfulness is more action oriented faith. We, we think faith is just nothing but, you know, believing mentally, but the Hebrew word doesn't even make that distinction. It's like total life commitment. And yeah, in fact, there's, um, one guy argues that, uh, even the Greek word, uh, pistis is faith, pisteo is to believe. Somebody argues that almost a better English translation would be like allegiance. Like it's, it's not just faith in the English mm. sense of English word sense of faith, but it's a total kind of commitment, which issues issues in a life sort of response. So, um, yeah, it's hard to read so much into a single word, but yeah, I, I definitely when, when the biblical writers are talking about faith, it, it's not, it's not just this mental ascent that we moderns typically make it out to be.
1: Yeah, which is, I think, important because we talk about if Abraham's faithfulness was accounted unto him as righteousness. Right. So this is an important conversation that I think we do need to have Mm -hmm. with people to understand what does this really mean and what does it mean to live by this?
0: Right. Well, it's also why we, we get tripped up over like Romans and James you know, Romans is, you know, all justification by my faith, faith, not works. Yes, yes, and yes, James yes. is like, works, works, not just faith. And we think, oh, contradiction or they don't like each other. It's like they're, they're actually not talking about two totally different things, you know. Um, right. Yeah. So how long have you been teaching at Colorado Christian?
1: I came here six months ago. Oh, you just got there. Did I you, just got here. I'm a baby.
0: Did you just finish your PhD, or have you been doing something else between your PhD? I finished and this? my
1: PhD. For, no, I've been teaching for about ten years. Oh. So I taught at a secular community college first, and then I went to Andrews University, and now I'm
0: here. Andrews is Seventh Day Adventist, right? Yes, yeah. it is okay. in Marion
1: Springs, Michigan.
0: Very cool. And, and Colorado Christian is—is is it interdenominational or?
1: It's interdenominational. Oh, yeah. There's How are the students? All different
0: faiths. Ta- okay, so you, you're you're in the live of college students. You've been doing you've been there for a while. Um, Describe to us this college generation. So, I mean, this would be kind of the older Gen Z, like the first generation of people going to college that were raised kind of with the internet. That's all they've known is internet, social media and everything. Uh, How would you, are you hopeful for college students? Are you discouraged a bit of both or?
1: I, I'm so hopeful. Yeah, I've never, I, I feel like there is a totally an anointing over this generation. Mm. There's so much um, hope and excitement that I have when I see them. When people say like one of the criticisms that they'll give this generation is they'll say, uh, but they're so like they're, they're rude or they're not respectful or they don't value authority. And these things may be true. However, if we can take, Young people like this who believe that they inherently have a voice and that what they say matters, is that not a powerful tool? Right. That when I watch, and take the politics out of it, when I watch these young people from um, Stone Marjorie Douglas School on the Senate floor challenging on national television their senators about gun reform. Hmm. My mind was blown. I was like, well, I mean, these are 18-year-old kids looking at the people who write their laws and saying, this needs to change. Mm -hmm. Who who do you think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were? That is a (laughs) boldness of belief and an idea that says like, this is greater than me. This is greater than what can happen to me. I just believe this and my voice matters. We have an entire generation of people that believe that their voice matters. I say, awesome.
0: Yeah, that's good. And I feel like, Because I've worked with college students for a while, Um, not in the last four years, but prior to that, I was a college professor for 10, 12 years. Um, And I was, all you know, some of the things that with like, so I'm a Gen Xer, so like Gen X or even boomers it's almost like you have to con- work so hard to convince them to be like compassionate <laughs> <laughs> or, or to care for the poor or, or even to, to question right. some political allegiances that we grew up with or whatever. But younger people, it's just, it comes second nature. Like I don't have to convince them um, to be compassionate for the, the those who are broken and marginalized. Like it just comes so naturally. And there's other things, challenges that I think we have to, to work on, but um, it, it's so refreshing. I am so refreshing to like, they're, they're hungering to want to like really live this out and, and have a meaningful Christian life and the kind of Sunday only Christianity. They're just not into at all. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't and know. even
1: if they're not Christians, right?
0: Right. Like
1: that's important. <laughs> that's a distinction to make. Like these are, this is a generation of people. It's the most diverse generation. Yeah. Um, it's also interestingly enough, the most depressed generation. Yeah. This generation scores 10 points lonelier than even senior citizens. So we have a generation that knows what it feels like to feel broken. Yeah. And so I think that's created a sense of empathy.
0: Is that because of social media? I mean, I know that's the kind of the big assumption, um, but is that, has that been proven that social media is kind of causing the anxiety, depression, loneliness, lack of real community or.
1: There is. I mean, yeah, we know that social media absolutely affects social comparison, which then increases mental health disorders. Okay. There's absolutely a connection for that. But just think social media, you know, Simon Sinek talks about this a lot. Social media is an addiction and ask any addict how their relationships are. And it's always going to be poor because addiction overrides your brain's ability to produce oxytocin, which is the connection hormone. Addiction is an override of dopamine in the brain. So it it doesn't matter what your addiction is. It doesn't matter if it's porn. It doesn't matter if it's video games. It doesn't matter if it's social media. If I'm an addict, it is affecting my brain chemically in a certain way. And it's blocking me from experiencing connection.
0: So it's, oh, that's okay. So it's not social media per se. It's the fact that that most teenagers, if we can say more, more than 50% are addicted to social media on some level, it's the fact that it's the addiction component that's screwing things up.
1: Yeah. Simon Sinek says this, if the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning is take a shot of alcohol, you are an alcoholic. Nobody's questioning that. If right. the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning is check your phone, what are you? Oh.
0: Wow. If you have to go from
1: room yeah. to room with your phone, if you can't pee without putting your phone down, yeah, there, there's something going on neurologically. Yeah. So the more I'm aware of it, that's why for me on my Sabbath, I fast from social media. I don't get on. That is me trying to detox my brain from this need to constantly be in the know.
0: Wow. It's so good. And convicting. I I just deleted Twitter off my phone this morning because I was like, you know, I can just that, that it's that habit. It's like sometimes I'll be at a stoplight i'll go for my phone yes. I'm like what am i doing <laughs> yeah can i sit here yeah. in the now for like 12 seconds without and, and for me it is the information it's being in the know it's not even like the i don't really play into the outrage culture you know scroll stuff and just get furious or whatever but it's more like you know checking news or what's going on that something happened that Iran Iran firing a missile you know yeah. it's like but even that even like a uh even if the motivation is mildly pure, let's just say, I just want to know what's going on or whatever that, that especially for me, I'm kind of an information junkie. So, I mean, it, it's that, that is going to be where I'm going to fail and be addicted to that. Yeah.
1: You're describing my biggest problem. <laughs> yeah. Twitter is my, that is my app. That is my favorite app of all the social media yeah. apps. And, and for those reasons, I love that I can see the news and then not only just see what's happening, but see in real time, people's responses to what's happening. I right. love understanding how we're tackling issues as a culture. I love it.
0: Because you're interested in people. Like, me too. I, I love to see, yeah, how people react to stuff. And it, yeah, it's entertaining. But it, <laughs> next thing I know, the light's green and people are honking at me. And I'm like, well, why can't I just be here and now? You know?
1: Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I sit in my driveway when I get home. Yeah. And you're just going to check for a second. It's yeah. crazy. It's like a time vortex. that yes. sucks the time out of the <laughs> room
0: yeah that's horrible for us
1: good for you for deleting it
0: well we'll see how it goes <laughs> yeah I, I, i've done it i think so i deleted uh facebook from my phone um a couple of years ago and i don't even miss mm-hmm. it so I, I facebook doesn't really affect me even instagram I, I, I have to remind myself to post on instagram or even yes, check it me too but with twitter if for something so what is it with twitter then i mean is it just you the, know what
1: it is for me i have made real relationships on twitter me too So I feel like what other app gives you that? Like Facebook's like my cousins. You know what I mean? Like I'm seeing all the drama that's going on with my family. Instagram, I'm just I'm not an artsy person, and so it's just not my thing. I am trying to do it because I have another book coming out, and I need to build Mm -hmm. my Instagram. But Twitter comes naturally for me. Yeah. To sit and have thought. And now that I there's this app Hootsuite. I'm sure you already know about it, but for your listeners, that I can just auto load all of my ideas as I have them and let them come out over the next couple of weeks. And I don't even have to think about it anymore. I love it.
0: Well, I didn't even know about that. That's Hootsuite. Hootsuite can do it. Oh, you don't know. Look, and I taught you something.
1: Yeah, Hootsuite. It's an app. And so, well, this is really fascinating. It will like go through all of your social media um, data and put out the tweet at the best time for your platform.
0: Wow. Yes. How does it know that? That's freaky.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it goes through all your tweets and like which ones were most successful. And so they, it tries to time it according to when most people will be online to see it.
0: So wait, it tweets, auto- old, it tweets old tweets that you've done or...
1: No, no, no. I, so when I have, I have tons of thoughts, and I just write them into a notes on my phone, oh. and then I put those notes into Hootsuite, and then I put auto load oh. on the Hootsuite, and it will like have. So sometimes I'll say something, and people think I'm talking about something right then, but it's actually from two weeks ago that I had this huh. thought, and I put it in my Hootsuite, and it just that was the time that it came out.
0: Interesting. Yeah. I probably, yeah. So it's
1: given me my life back.
0: I pro. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well. Okay. So it is. It could be a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I might look into it. we will see. <laughs> it's great. Uh, what, um, uh, politically, what, where would you describe yourself? Are you allowed to talk about that? I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of an yeah. open book of stuff. Yeah. Okay.
1: yeah, I have always been. I mean, you know, I'm from an evangelical Christian community. I've, I've, I have always voted pretty much based on abortion. Okay. Every election until this last one. Okay. Um so I have always identified, I think, as a Republican. I would identify myself right now as an independent.
0: Okay. Yeah. That's about where I'd be, I think. I was much more staunch Republican growing up and then then I started to just kind of read the Bible. <laughs> like Right. I don't know right. if Jesus would resonate with a lot of things going on here. Um yeah, the pro life thing still is a really big too. one to me. I just yeah. Um that's yeah, really big. Uh but yeah, the Trump fiasco is is in, it's kind of interesting. So I'm I have more of like um, Anabaptist Mennonite, um, not 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 my tradition at all. But I, I would resonate with that view of kind of church and state, like a real radical separation between um, yeah. mm-hmm. secular politics and the church. Um, so for me, it's almost like I kind of sit back with my popcorn, watching Babylon, you know, yeah. <laughs> fight against each other, you know, and and um, yeah, I I almost think is as, as much as I think. Trump has way more problems than things he's doing that are that's good. And again, I'm not, I'm not really in the politics. So I don't even want to speak above my pay grade. But I almost think the the radical left, just nonstop criticism of anything he does is actually going to have a reverse effect. I, I think it. I think more and more people are seeing like, well. Just because he sneezes doesn't mean it's evil, you know, or just because there's an earthquake in China doesn't mean Trump caused it, you know. It's like the constantly yeah. ne- just 100% negative, the guy can do nothing right, I think is actually might have a reverse effect and create a little more sympathy and tip the scales to have him get voted in again. I mean, I
1: am, I, I am so curious to see what happens. Yeah. For this next election.
0: I am too. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Politics. I just, I just, it feels like it's gotten so, and maybe it's always been like this. I don't know. But so excessively partisan where I'm like, man, I don't know. There's, I see good in both sides and bad in both sides. Like, can we just like really hash out these, these discussions and not just do everything we can to get into power, get our person into power and stuff. And I don't know. It's just, I look at it yeah. for a little bit and it's like a car accident and I'm like, oh, it's just kind of icky, but.
1: Something has definitely happened, I think, in the last four years where it's, I I speak far more for the group that I'm representing than my actual beliefs. I think that something strange is going on where we're digging our heels in Mm -hmm. based on the choices perhaps that we made in 2016 rather than actually stepping back. It's probably cognitive dissonance a little bit, too, I think.
0: Where, Where are students at? Uh, politically? I mean, it seems like they're much more liberal, but yeah. not necessarily. Are they? or? Um...
1: No, yeah. This, uh, statistically, the Republican Party is going to have to do something different, but I think they will. I, mean, I think they're going to keep morphing as all of culture keeps morphing. They're going to have to. So yeah. yeah, students are definitely probably the most liberal that they've ever been. I can't remember the exact statistic, but it's something like 70 to 80% of, of this generation identifies more as a Democrat. Really? Yeah. For, for young adults.
0: Well, what would that mean in 10 years? I mean, or even five years. I mean, it seems like I just,
1: well, here's the thing. Like I, I have students that probably because this is an evangelical institution that I work for that identify as Republican, but their idea of what that means is different. I think than what, what we see on TV. And so I'm excited for their future and for the future of the Republican party and what it can be when young people, Yeah. Get to have more of an ownership of it.
0: I I was in a fascinating conversation a couple of nights ago in in our small group with a bunch of of teenagers who are part of our small group. And we we talked about abortion. We threw out abortion. Just like, hey, what do you guys think about this? And um, they all were pretty passionately Mm pro-life. But they talked way more about the complex socioeconomic scenarios that would lead somebody to abortion. Um, They talked about the shame that often covers somebody that might lead them to hiding an abortion and stuff like they were so more in tune with the complexity of it. I was, I was impressed. I mean, first of all, so hopeful and impressed. Cause like, man, you didn't just yeah. give a flat answer. Like you, you understood the, the complexity of it all while be, still being pro-life, you know? And yeah. Um, yeah.
1: And I think those types of, I mean, as we, we talked about with communication, those types of nuanced approaches are going to be far more received than somebody other than a blank answer
0: right
1: Uh, this i spoke this summer i went to ohio right so i'm with a i think it was like a methodist um retreat that i did for two weeks evangelistic series there and i had so i mean all of them were white republican essentially i had so many 18 year old 17 year old kids come up to me and say I am so grateful that they brought a woman. I am so grateful that they brought a person of color to speak to us. And these are Republican young people. So I'm saying like their perception of what it means, I think is morphing Mm -hmm. for those that are still Republican. So I think it's going to, it's just going to keep morphing and they'll find leaders that represent them.
0: That's great. That's awesome. Yeah. The, the, the ethnic diversity piece of the younger people is another one that just gives me absolute hope. Yeah. I, I don't have to do a lot of work to try to convince them that this is a good and beautiful and godly uh, thing, you know, that just yeah, having a bunch no. of white people leading everything isn't a good thing. <laughs>
1: In fact, they challenge it.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's,
1: yeah, it's totally interesting to watch. And I, yeah, I'm hopeful.
0: Yeah, that's cool. So you do a lot of speaking. What 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 do you speak on? I mean, all kinds of different things? Or what are some main topics and and maybe, yeah, maybe so- areas and people you speak to?
1: I speak, I do um, a lot of communication seminars for pastors or church leaders, and then I do a ton of speaking for college students, typically about taking ownership of our faith, um, standing in the gaps that we see happening right now religiously in our country, and um, I, I always put communication under, like, I, I'll never just go through scripture without adding communication context to what does this look like in the field that I'm a part of. Because I think that that helps make things relevant yeah. um, for this next generation. Okay. Yeah. I'm but I also to- do a ton of women's retreats too.
0: I'm curious about speaking to pastors. I I would love to hear your honest thoughts. Is that, is that ever an issue? You being a woman or even a person of color, speaking to a bunch of pastors, like, do do they receive it well? Are they taking notes? Like, oh, I can really learn from this person or are they a little bit skeptical?
1: I, I think the majority has, here's what I'm not a pastor. And I think that's why it works. And I've had conversations like this with other females that are in ministry because I'm coming as a communication professor, professional, they're pretty receptive of me. As opposed to me having a seminary degree. I'm just a community. And I say this all the time. I am just a communications person who loves Jesus and loves the Bible. So it's non-threatening to them.
0: Besides the moving people two steps in the right direction, rather than the whole distance, what, what are, what's like their number two, number three, big piece of advice, specifically to pastors.
1: Um, Here's, I think a big one. You can't do communication really, really effectively without knowing the person, okay. the message, here's a fundamental rule. The message is always in the person, not in the message. So two people can say the exact same thing yeah. and have very different meaning based on who I am and what my past communication patterns are. Mm-hmm. So that's why I just think so much of, when we look at evangelism, like so much of evangelism and people don't always want to do this work. It's, it's a relational work Mm -hmm. because I have to know who you are as a person to understand how to answer these, these questions that you're asking me. Here's, there's this great book. It's called um, how God changes the brain. And it's written by two neuroscientists. And what they find in this book is that 90%, this is a communication thing. Okay. 90% of the time when I say the word God, neurologically, I'm coming up with different pictures of who that God is. So when I say, and I say this to people and to pastors, when people say to you, I reject God, I don't believe in that. What if the God that they're rejecting, you yourself also reject, and perhaps Jesus Christ himself would also reject. Yeah. Like what if we're arguing with people over a God that neither of us believe in? And let me talk to you about the God that I've met and I've experienced because most people, here's a small example. I had a friend, she's not religious at all. And we were having a conversation about God. And she was like, I just, I don't like this idea that there's this man that demands my worship. She's like, that just makes me feel uncomfortable. And I said, but God is, God is not a man. God is love. And she said, I could worship love. Wow. That makes sense to me. Right. So, and so oftentimes we'll argue with people and miss one another over a word that somebody's using. Mm-hmm. And if we don't stop and have a conversation about, well, what is, what does your God look like? What does this look like to mm-hmm. you? What does it mean? What do you think he would do? How would he think we can't get anywhere?
0: So when you're speaking to an audience that you don't personally know, do you try to find out kind of the, absolutely where they're coming from their theological tradition, maybe even political bent or whatever, and figure absolutely. Out, yeah.
1: Yeah, you want to. And I mean, obviously, there's stuff just based on age demographic, yeah. there's going to be some consistencies that we have. And I hope most of us would change our talks based on the audience that we're presenting to.
0: So I but my know, favorite
1: thing, go ahead.
0: No, no, no. keep going.
1: No, I was just gonna say my favorite thing anymore. I used to just I want to be a speaker. I don't want to, like, I speak all the time, but I tell them, please give me time for small group. I, I can't there's only so much I can inspire you probably in a 30 minute message, but we're not going to change each other's lives mm-hmm. unless we sit down and have a real conversation. So please give time. I just had a call from California yesterday. I said, I need time to break down into small group and actually talk about what's really going on in each other's lives. What is God not doing for me? not just what he is doing. What is he not doing for you? Where are you coming from in this disconnect that you're experiencing or this numbness that you're experiencing? To me, I have found for myself that these small group opportunities after a presentation uh-huh. change the game.
0: What do you, So do you, you break them up into small groups and then do you go and listen in on each one or what's your role with the small groups?
1: You know, so for example, I did this um, at the last university I was at. We did this thing called God's in the Basement. And it was actually the student's idea. Okay. So I did not come up with this. They wanted to, they were like, we feel like we want to really enhance the spiritual environment here. I was like, great, I'll speak. This is what I do. They were like, we don't want you to speak. I was like, but you don't, this is what I do. You don't understand. It's going to be great. They're like, no, we don't, we don't want you. To, we just want to have a conversation about how we feel about what does dating look like? What is too far sexually to go with my boyfriend? What is, yeah. what is God we just want to look at each other and have a conversation with people who are trying to walk the same walk that I'm walking. So what we did was we would meet in the basement. There's no sound system. There's no lights. There's no microphone. And we would just pose two discussion questions. They broke off into groups of like five or six. They would discuss the question. And then I would moderate where I'd come back and say, okay, you've talked about that. Somebody from each group, tell me what you guys thought. When I tell you that 80% of these conversations ended in like the entire room, like sobbing, It was the most powerful experience and it wasn't centered around me. And that's Mm what I I really had to change how I view communication and how I view Christianity and faith. Like we need a new power movement for the church and a movement is not based on one person. It's not a movement unless it can move without you.
0: Man, I got to think about this. So, so I give, you know, all day seminars, 830 to 330. And I do build, there's Q and a time and then like, I think three sections where I have people, I'll throw out a scenario, have them talk in small groups, for like 10 minutes, and then they share their response or whatever. For one, it just breaks it up. I mean, I, I, I get sick yeah. of hearing myself talk. Uh, right, and who can, right. who can listen to a talking head all, all day. Um, but I do, I, I feel like those are typically turning points within the day. Like it's just something just feels so yes. natural and real. And then they have a voice too. And sometimes it can become a little difficult if, when they give a response, it's like a really not good one. Like here's a pastoral situation. Like, well, I would do this. And I'm like, don't do that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it, you but know. you can open it to them. Yeah. What do you guys think about what he just said? And then right. other people challenge each other's ideas in a space of love and safety.
0: Yeah. I might, I mean, this is on the air in front of thousands of people, but I mean, <laughs> I, I, I might send you an email. I, I, Cause I'm, I'm going to be in Greeley, Colorado. Um, oh, in March, giving an all day talk. I would okay. uh, love to pay for your regist- everything if you were interested in coming, but, but also like, I would love feedback, like just from a communication standpoint, like, and
1: from a speech teacher, I will be there.
0: Oh gosh, that'd be amazing. I mean, it's all on yeah, sexuality look- and gender. So very relevant to I'm sure stuff you're working oh, with.
1: that's interesting.
0: Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll send you who's, the info. Who's, but the no, who's
1: the audience? Who's the audience? Uh,
0: mainly, uh, pastors, church leaders, um, I get a decent amount of parents with like LGBT kids that, that come, but typically it's, it's, it's aimed at, uh, ministry leaders, primarily church, but also we get a lot, a lot of like campus ministries as well. So.
1: And is it, how do we handle these conversations?
0: Yeah, kind of. It's, it's basically, um, so I, I divided into kind of three areas, not, not consecutively, but, uh, relationships just for those of us who aren't LGBTQ, uh, how do we understand, the relationship between the church and the LGBT community and kind of like, or just LGBT people. What are some things that a lot of straight people just don't get and need to get? Um, number two, we do a lot of theology. We talk a lot about theology, sexuality, gender, and then number three, uh, ministry. We do ask, I get down to the nitty gritty questions. Like how do you handle a membership policy, a doctoral statement, this, that, and, um, so it's kind of just an a a to z overview of if you're in ministry how sh- what should you know about this conversation in in one day you know
1: that um, sounds fascinating and yeah. so necessary
0: oh yeah no it's it's fun I, I mean I've been I think this will be my maybe thirtieth one I've done um, so I've been doing it for a while but I I would love to get um yeah I would love to get feedback from you like even like hey you went a little too long on a monologue here maybe you do another smaller or whatever um yeah I would love to hear what you
1: Yeah. I'd love to hear
0: your wisdom. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Just know that this generation is, it used to be, I, I, I think, therefore I am right. I feel most alive, most at peace, most fulfilled when I'm thinking. And now it's, I share, therefore I am. So I've had to totally change the way I do class because they can't just listen to me talk for an hour and 15 minutes. I have to break it up with what does this mean to you? What does this look like? Where are we seeing this in our real lives? And then giving them space, not to just turn to a partner, but then, open it up to everybody. Okay, what did you guys discuss? And of course, once I discuss it with a partner for the introvert person that's there, I feel more confident being able to share that that's with good. the rest of the group. Yeah, and I- they will walk away remembering far more <laughs> if they've talked. Is that
0: is that is that a fact? That's a Yes,
1: yes. If you do not, uh, I wish I had this too. And I read this study and it was saying like, if you don't provide time for them to discuss the idea after you've shared it, they'll not remember the idea. They're like far less likely to remember the idea.
0: So this is my bit. So, okay. One of my underlying passions has been, how do we do and be the church in a post internet world? Because I think we're still using pre-internet models that are just outdated. Really the idea that somebody would go and either read a news report, listen to something and not have any kind of space to respond is really out that's that that doesn't really exist anymore. So why are we still doing monological sermons with no avenue for people to be able to respond? Uh, so I'm not a pastor. Okay, I've been in ministry, in different contexts and stuff. But if I were, I I almost think it would be like a, a no brainer for me to have some space where the audience can respond. Maybe it's a an evening Q and A session. Maybe it's a post service dialogue maybe it's even texting and questions or something it's just where people have they feel like they have space to clarify push back ask a question whatever um
1: i am with you i am totally with you and i've learned too that this this generation is totally it's a participatory culture so yes. i have to participate in whatever i'm experiencing so i've spoken so much less when i when i hold a a, a vespers now i have them speak and do you know it's changed. We, my husband's church, the average age is 65. We started doing a Saturday night service where I could invite my students to. I don't speak. They speak. They do the music. They do slam poetry. They do mm-hmm. the welcome. They do a scripture. You want to know what happened? The average age of his church is 65. I thought, we're going to get like five kids here. When I invited them to participate in the service, mm-hmm. almost 100 people have been coming. Wow. Because when they are doing it, what do they do? They tell their friends. And then they post it online and they take videos of each other. And then more friends come the next month that we do it. It is like, I, this is my big thing for, anybody who's listening to this in ministry, step back. I, I think leadership isn't just about me being up front. It's about me figuring out how to empower other people to yeah. get up front. And you know this, like, did your faith not change when you had to take accountability and ownership of yeah, it Absolutely. in yeah, that way? Yeah. For me, it changed everything.
0: Yeah, absolutely. They
1: need that experience.
0: So it's church services where 99% of the people are just nothing but passive. How do we, I mean, I know, I know with mega churches, it'd be, it's, it's harder. I know. Um, I know. But even, I, I don't know. I think if we see it as a need, not just a possibility, I think we would come up with some creative ways of, I mean, so, so the, so, well, in the talks, I guess, I guess it's not a big, it's, it would be anywhere from like 200 to 350 or something like that. Okay. So, and, and with a topic like sexuality and gender, we do do some conversations live but when it comes to questions, I've done live questions in the past and it, it actually doesn't go well. So I do, a, um, I've got a whole platform of of where they can text in a question and then they, but they vote on the questions and the, the ones that get voted on the most get pushed to the top. And so I'm addressing the questions on a screen in order of the ones they want me to address. But what, what's missed, as you know, I mean, you're probably <laughs> kind of what you're thinking, like communication is like 90% body and eyebrows and... Um, but the one thing—a live Q and A where somebody has to stand up and ask a question on sexuality and gender—all the introverts are just yeah. not going to do anything. So the so the texting and it's anonymous, so it allows people, yeah. it allows people to say, "Hey, I'm gay. How do I come out to somebody?" You know, you're yeah. never going to obviously ask um, in, in a large audience. But um, but so even something like that, I don't know, like like even a mega church or a large service, you you could have some kind of space where people could at least text in questions or something. If anything, you're just saying, I honor your voice, your question. I want to respond. Right. I mean,
1: yes. But even in a mega church, can we not pause and say, talk about this to the person next to you, right? Yeah. Get up and move two rows and talk about it to that. I mean, when, when I do it with my students, I never just say, talk to the person next to you. I say, Mm. get up and go to the, if you're on the left side, you're going to get up and go to the right side and find somebody new and have a conversation with them. Mm. and, that first question maybe is awkward, but by the time we do the second and the third, they are, they've made a new friend. Wow. And so this whole, it, you change the entire experience hmm. once I'm actually getting to meet and greet. We're, we're social creatures, right? So we have to give them space to have that participatory experience.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Especially with the younger generation. I mean, there's this, you know, yes. I mean, you, you Workers work for Barna, so like, as much. yeah, there's a whole like exodus, right. <laughs> of all the younger people. So the way to keep them, uh, not just in church, but keep them in the faith is. Yeah. Wow. Is to invite
1: them yeah. to have ownership of it.
0: That's so good. Let, let's, I, I want to um, be sensitive to your time, but also yeah. we haven't even talked about your books yet. Your latest book is Confessions of a Christian Wife, A Look at Relationships and Faith. Give us the elevator pitch for that book and what's it all about?
1: Yeah, I was tired of reading Instagram uh, social influencer Christians whose biggest problem was that they cussed once. And so I wanted to write an authentic look at what it looks like to be married you know, and it's for me being married to a pastor. So what does this relationship look like? What are the real struggles that we've had without trying to put a pretty bow and face on it? No, this has been really hard and he sleeps on the couch and what, it, what this is what's happening in this relationship and, huh. and just being honest. I just think there's so much space in Christianity for authenticity Yeah. about what we're really struggling with.
0: Awesome. And you've written a few other books too. Uh, yeah. tell me, tell me, I'm going to pull up your, Oh, okay. Uh, how to feed the media mediavore? Mediavore. Mediavore, like carnivore yeah. media, mediavore. <laughs> oh, that looks! This cover is brilliant. This you guys did a
1: really good job, right?
0: <laughs> a fork through the iPhone—that is awesome. Uh, Life yeah. after Eden, cracked glasses. Yeah. Um, you've written how many books? Like half a dozen?
1: Yeah, no, yeah, I've written six.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. you're working on one now that's going to come out next year, right? What's, the, what's that? Yes,
1: one? I'm working on one right now. It's called It's Not Your Turn. And essentially, I wrote it. It's funny how God redeems all of your like broken pieces, because I wrote this book about my experiences watching it be everybody else's turn but mine, and feeling like God had this plan for me. I, you promised me there's things that you said we we're going to do, and I'm not seeing it. And what do I do in this space? And I had to learn. And i, I only recently learned it, to be honest, to clap for other people when it's their turn and to not let jealousy destroy my prayers because they hinder our prayers when we are like having all this resentment and dislike and trying to tear down somebody else's ministry because it's doing better than mine. Like, let's just Mm -hmm. stop and learn to clap for other people. Maybe they're doing it differently than you. Praise God. We need Mm -hmm. people who do it differently than you. Right. So it's called, uh, it's not your turn walking with patience in a race toward instant.
0: Do, do you find that that's way more easier with social media? It's so much easier to see other people's ministries and criticize, is that exacerbating absolutely, the Absolutely,
1: yeah. <laughs> absolutely. And it's so much easier. It, social media has totally changed social comparison. It used to be that I compare myself to my neighbors and their tacky lawn ornaments. Yeah. Now I compare myself to this guy I went to sixth grade with that I would never even know anymore, but right now he's in Kigali serving all these people and I now feel like my ministry means nothing, right? So there's this whole huh. level of constant broadcast of what other people are doing that is awesome and wonderful and so much better than what I'm doing.
0: Wow, so good. Well, Heather, is, we're coming up close to an hour. Uh, so where can people find you if they want to look more into your speaking? Um, I mean, well, I'll just say it. HeatherThompsonDay.com, right? <laughs> One-stop shop. Yeah, you can go to, to
1: HeatherThompsonDay.com. <laughs> My favorite app is Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at HeatherTDay. T. Day.
0: Heather T Day. That's right. Okay. And yes, definitely follow Heather on Twitter. Uh, she's awesome. Thank you. I love, I love your, I love how you have the ability to just challenge, like, like you're not so like, I don't see you as like in this tribe or that tribe, like you just challenge people to think better and more Jesus. Like it's awesome. So
1: I appreciate yeah. you yeah. noticing that about me. Thank you.
0: Oh, it's so good. So thanks so much for being on theology. Naraha, it's Heather, been and... a
1: pleasure. Thank you.
0: <laughs> All right. God bless.